be one journalist of the year from the American Conservative Union at CPAC 2015. You like me right now. You like me. He's Jim Garrity. How do you like me now? Now that I'm on my She's a broadcast professional who's got pop culture by the throat, and she won't let go. Crank up the radio. Run for your lives, everyone. This is not a drill. She's broadcast pro Mickey White. How do you like me now? This is the Jim and Mickey Show. Welcome to the Jim and Mickey Show, brought to you by Devlin McGregor Pharmaceuticals. Yes, the proud makers of Provasic, the new artery-clearing drug that completely passed all of its FDA testing and in no way causes liver damage, wants to let you know that you shouldn't let any fugitive doctors barging into Chicago medical conferences steer you wrong. It's time to stop running and get yourself to a doctor for a prescription for Provasic. It won't cost you an arm and a leg, just one arm. I am Jim Garrity, joined by Mickey White, and welcome to the April Fool's Day edition of the Jim and Mickey Show. Mickey, I don't know about you, but I kind of feel like April Fool's Day is kind of superfluous this year. (laughs) Well, that's certainly one way to look at it. Um, I personally find it to be my least favorite internet holiday. Um, It's always kind of been my least favorite holiday in general. Um, I had a cousin back in the day who had a girlfriend who did the I'm Pregnant in the morning and then I'm not in the afternoon but in the middle he had told his parents (laughs) and so it always kind of just left a very negative feeling uh, (laughs) with me and I believe in the age of the internet and internet hoaxes and things that quite frankly you can't tell if it's real or somebody made it up um, in the headlines these days we don't need an April Fool's Day this year. It really seems like we did okay with that extra day in February. Maybe we just skip April Fool's Day. It is the season of fools. I'm going to give you a menu of options, Mickey, and I want you to pick out which one is the April Fool's Day headline. Okay. Okay. Man takes selfie with terrorist. Amber Rose explains sex acts with Kanye on Twitter. President dances tango after NATO's capital city hit. Or Russian mogul claims he spent a billion dollars on his daughter's wedding, booking Jennifer Lopez, Enrique Iglesias, and Sting. Which one of those is the April Fool's Day joke? B. And the oh, the correct real. answer was none of them. Trick question. All of them are actual things oh, that happened. Damn. Damn. I thought so, maybe yeah. Amber Rose wasn't discussing sex with Kanye this week. Yeah, it was, I, w- I went back a little bit for that one. But all of those are actual things that have happened. All of them are actual headlines. Okay. Which kind of makes the point, like, again, like, what do you do? Uh, uh, maybe on April Fool's Day, like, the day should just be normal this year. <laughs> everyone should just kind of... Everybody act right. Yeah. If everyone no, acted no. right this year, ah, you know, we're, we're, we're yeah, a like, sane country, a sane world. So. April Fool's. And, and, you know, of course, you know, welcome back to our listeners. Um, good to be back after a, a little break and hiatus. Always good to take a little time off for Jim and I and Dave to spend some time with our families. And I know, Jim, you had the opportunity to spend some time um, away and relaxing. And uh, I assume that was good for you considering, you know, all the hate being spewed your way these days. Why the hate? <laughs> yeah, it's... um. You know, I, for you know, for once, I thought you had to be a celebrity to have haters. 
Um, and now you don't. And now, now you know, it's the great democratization of having haters. And you now great. are a celebrity to one third of Republican likely voters. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so the the oddest thing that happened to me on last week's vacation, um, we, I was visiting my parents down in uh, the Hilton Head Island area in South Carolina. Um, there is a town called Bluffton, uh, which is you know closer to where they live, and it really is one of those perfect faux old towns that is actually built like in the past eighteen months or so. Uh-huh. Um, it looks quaint and charming, but you actually you look at it and you can tell everything has been built fairly recently. Um, and, and one of those things where I, I – actually, I'm going to put this to you, Mickey. What is the worst experience you've ever had in a restaurant in terms of, uh, of you know, bad service or just a sense that for whatever reason, the staff and management just don't want you there? Um, it actually started with ordering a drink and appetizers. Mm-hmm. And I was in a restaurant. I'm not going to name names, but it was a local restaurant. They used to be known for fresh seafood. And I went in and I ordered my standard captain and diet. And the woman brought me the drink and I took a sip of it and instantly knew it was not what I drink, period. Like, obviously, I'm not a casual. That That is the only thing I drink. Like, I don't drink anything else and I don't drink it every day. But obviously, mm-hmm. I'd know the difference. And I was like, this doesn't taste like captain. Did they accidentally, you know put something else in it or, you know, sometimes people, you know, try to put in a, a lower shelf liquor, et cetera. She goes, I don't know. Let me see. She comes back and explains to me that the bartender told her they were out of Captain Morgan's. Mm-hmm. So he tried to recreate it with Bacardi and something like some type of cinnamon schnapps. <laughs> Needless yeah, to not say, really just like each other. Yeah, no. Yeah, like, and I was like, and you were going to charge me for this. I, I was going to say, I would say it's apples and oranges, but I'm guessing that apples and oranges were his second guess of what he right. should Right. You know, I was like, oh my God. And we had just, and you know, I love oysters, right? Mm-hmm. We had just ordered a huge order of raw oysters. I'm looking at Mr. Bias, and I realize, like, this is the first time in my life I'm terrified to eat these raw oysters. (laughs) So he literally just gets up, walks up to the bars, like, check. We leave and go down the street to another place and have dinner. So there you go. That's my story. It was, like, it was really bad. The bartender doesn't cook dinner, though, does he? Yeah, but it just kind of was an indication uh, okay. of, of, you know, the quality of service I was about to get. I think you're going to be topped by Jim's story here. I, I was going to say, because at least you got to sit down, Mickey. Um, <laughs> I will name names. Uh, in, in downtown, oh in, right in Bluffton, there's this wonderful-looking establishment called the Bluffton House. And it has this great uh, bar that you're like one that's like half inside, half outside uh, of the bar. You can sit outside in kind of a front porch-type area. The other side is inside the restaurant. Mrs. Campaign's not Very southern, not, very quaint. Exactly. We're on – it's our date night, right? The kids are with my parents. We're all having, ready to have a great time. And we so go this in. This is a big night anyway. Yeah. And let's, let's observe. This is the week before Easter. It's conceivable that the college kids aren't there and you don't have your regular staff uh, working. Or but The maitre d' woman is, you know um, – Half my age, let's say, probably couldn't get you know get couldn't couldn't be served at that bar as is. 
So she, just, she basically just looks at us, for starters. And, and usually there's like a, hi, welcome to Bluffton House. Or hi, how can I help you? Or you know, welcome. <laughs> None of that. She just kind of looks at us. Like, and so, you know, loveliness campaign spot says, we were hoping to get a seat at the inside bar. And she goes, mm, I don't think we have any. <laughs> Long, awkward. Pause. Like, well, well, could you go look? <laughs> and here's the thing. Now, on the outside bar, I'd this see. This is why I love of- Mrs. Campaign spot. Because she and I, I think sometimes are like oh, right here. Neither one of you suffers fools gladly. Uh, and, and so like there were quite a few bar stools where like I didn't want to ask someone, hey, could you move your bag or something? Like, if, or, or could you guys scrunch closer together and just free up you know, so we could get two bar stools? Like, it would have taken a very minor amount. And I, but I wasn't going to go up to people and say, hey, move. You know, I don't want to sit here. Uh, you know, we're, we're out on our date night. We would like to have two contiguous bar stools. That doesn't seem like an unreasonable request here. Um, and she goes, and she, she, she just kind of like, she glances over like our shoulders and goes, mm, I don't think so. <laughs> we're, we're, we're dressed appropriately as far as I can tell. Maybe this, if, if it turns out that this is a Trump owned establishment or something, <laughs> a lot of pieces are going to fall into place because otherwise, like for whatever reason, like she is absolutely like, because even if let's say you're like, so, again, they just, so she basically just refused to seat you. There was no indication that she wanted us to dine in this establishment at all. Like if I, I told you about this phenomenon, about people refusing to take my money. Apparently, this is the new trend in businesses where they don't take money. They don't seat customers. They don't want any of that. Um, it's, it's just catering to a more exclusive clientele. And they don't run you off, per se. They just have this total drab lack of enthusiasm that takes this, away yeah, all yours. It is the newly inert maitre d'. So <laughs> this is campaign spot. Uh, <laughs> one of the noble gases on the social periodic table. Uh, nuts, well, could you check? Could you go over there and check? <laughs> I do <laughs> love her, nudge, nudge. Could you possibly get two people to sit next to each other so that we could have two bar, you know? And finally, the woman walks over, walks up and down and comes back and says, no. Now, usually in this circumstance, for whatever, let's say for whatever reason, this maitre d' was not comfortable asking two people to sit closer together so we could have two bar stools <laughs> or, or, or to take a bag off a bar stool because I'm sure that bag was running up a big tag. Not uh, as but, comfortable as she was driving you off through social ineptitude. That she seems yeah, happy. And so, so you usually they'd say, oh, we, we don't have any seats at the bar, but, you know, we can get you a table. There are empty tables, by the way. Mm-hmm. Now, maybe they're all reserved. Or somebody, but, but there's no indication on this part that like, oh, well, we understand you have money and you are hungry and you are thirsty. And traditionally in, in commerce, there's an exchange of goods and services in exchange for currency. Um, this, this had completely escaped the major D's attention, had no interest in this. Uh, so we ended up going to another place, which was actually phenomenally fantastic and exactly what he wanted, but uh, what, what we wanted. But I couldn't believe um, I, I've had, you know, I've gone into places where like you sit down at the bar and the bartender just doesn't show up for five minutes. Right. I've gone into restaurants and like the maitre d' just isn't there. I have not had an experience where the maitre, and like if they'd said, you know, oh, sir, you can't wear those brown shoes in here or so, like, like there was no indication that there was some sort of like policy. And it was only, this, was, this is a restaurant right in the middle of downtown. There's no indication. This is a private club, sir. We don't let you in here. Um, you know, I, I, I just, you know, well, no Irish allowed in here. <laughs> oh, God, I'm really racking my, my brain for what Did it possibly was. Did they give was. you the you're not from around here look? You ain't from or, around here, are you, no boy? Yankee cap? Uh, no, you know, you yeah, well, it, It's not the cap, son. It's the accent. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, you know. 
Maybe uh, that maybe that would explain a little bit that I, I was seen as a a resurgence of the war of northern aggression. Um, exactly. Thank you for understanding their position. Finally, <laughs> <laughs> that's the only plausible explanation. Now I see the second. It only <laughs> took 160 years. <laughs> and and you know I guess I guess they got their their uh, their, their revenge. And of course, their revenge is the way that they. You know, welcome the tourists with all of their southern <laughs> hospitality. <laughs> that, that'll work well for the restaurant in the long run. I, I suppose we can find a point of agreement that deep in her heart she is still revolting. Um, See, so yeah, so well that was the one, the one off-key note of the, the vacation. And uh, you know, so if you if you find yourself in love, of course, a lovely town full of great places. Uh, don't go to the Bluffton House. Go to uh, Lucky Rooster on Hilton Head Island, where we went to and had a fantastic evening. So <laughs> now that we've destroyed the reputation, now of- you have gotten your revenge. Right. Yes, there you go. On the Jim and Mickey show. On the Jim and Mickey show, which again, <laughs> that that should make you feel much much better about the entire exchange. Uh, again, I would be perfectly happy to have sat and just had you know like. Anyway, yeah, I, I would. I would have waited if there was a wait for a table. <laughs> I'm certain that Jim could keep going all night on this particular topic. So, um, we're going to keep moving into the next segment, which is all about adaptations and the way stories are being told on television or not really TV anymore. I guess I'm Mickey White. He's Jim Garrity, and you're listening to the Jim and Mickey Show. We'll be right back. <laughs> Mamma mia, that's a spicy meatball. Cut. What in the hell's diversity? Well, I, I could be wrong, but I believe uh, diversity is an old, old wooden ship that was used during the Civil War era. Marsha, what happened? Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey Show. I am Jim Garrity, joined by Mickey White with Big Dave Perkins, handling all the engineering and likely to jump in on this segment. So I- I'm proud to announce that I've-, I've found a new television show that I really enjoy, and it's not on network. I've always been kind of skeptical of these on-demand, special web-based services, but uh, – uh, you probably have seen the the utter ubiquitous and possibly almost to the point of overexposure advertising campaign for Bosch, uh, which is not a fancy kitchen utensil. Uh, it is <laughs> not for the actual painter Hieronymus Bosch who portrayed the the peasants in hell. Uh, no, it's based on a series of novels by author Michael Connolly, and these actually these novels I think it's like twenty some. Uh, editions of this, and they've taken it. It's kind of a classic, gritty, modern noir uh, look at the life of a Los Angeles uh, homicide detective, Harry Bosch, named after the painter. Um, it's definitely gritty. It's definitely a portrayal of a complicated, morally complicated world, uh, and one really determined cop who generally always gets out and gets his man. Almost a Jack Bowery figure. Um, now, Dave, right as we were about to be, you said you, you've fallen in love with this series. I read One every second. Where can our listeners find this show since you're not watching it on network? It is on Amazon Video. So you can either subscribe to that or if you have a subscription to Amazon Prime, yeah, which the means Prime. They, they, sell, they deliver stuff faster to you. So if you want, let's say you wanted to order um, Voting to Kill or Heavy Lifting or, or uh, The Weed Agency or any of these other fine books available on Amazon.com, it comes to you <laughs> fast. <laughs> and there are no shipping fees. So I, I find Amazon Prime worthwhile. Uh, but also with it, you get a subscription to Amazon Video. And you can watch these shows on demand uh, whenever you want, however you want. So, I, Dave, I am four episodes into the first season and love it. 
Um, this is campaign spot. Can't stand it because it's about serial killers and body parts and stuff like <laughs> that. That sounds fantastic. Well, be- I'm six deep, and I read every Harry Bosch book right when it came out. I paid retail high price for all the novels. I bought them in hardbacks when I had to because I couldn't wait to read. And I always thought, all the way through the 90s and the 2000s, I always thought, don't screw up this movie. Don't screw up this TV show. It'd be so easy to do it badly like they always do. And watching this, I'm six episodes deep, Jim, and I'm thinking there's no major network that could have done this any better or any truer to the books. It really is wonderful. Intriguing. Now, the show, the, the title character, uh, Bosch, is played by an actor named Titus Welliver. And a lot of you are probably going to say, who? Uh, probably I on the Facebook did. page, we will put up a picture of him and you'll say, oh, it's that guy. Um, he's one of those actors who's been in a lot of TV shows, generally in supporting roles. Uh, he was just in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. this week, um, uh, The Deadwood, uh, The Good Wife, uh, usually playing a, a, either a villainous character or a, the authoritative figure you don't trust or you don't like. Um, <laughs> and, and in, in this, The Good Wife? Uh, he played the guy who was trying to prosecute Chris Noth. Um, almost the Rahm Emanuel character, the kind of yes. conniving, underhanded, and it's interesting yes. because this is this is an unheroic looking actor. The original AD on there. There you go, exactly. Um, and he's you know, this guy doesn't look like uh, your classic square jawed hero, and I think it's one of the things that makes him kind of intriguing. This is a protagonist who like is perceived as unlikable by his fellow detective. It's not quite House. Um, but it's a guy with a chip on his shoulder and convinced that he's the only cop who really knows how to get things done. And the More thing importantly, is, that it, and I really want to get to this, mm-hmm. you mentioned a lot of death and yeah. serial killing. Oh, yeah. Serial killing. So, you know, right. you, you're speaking my language now. So I'm just now I'm more curious. It's like about casting a fly before. to Mickey the Trout. Serial killer exactly. brings her up for a strike. You had exactly. me at serial like, killer. Suddenly one of Jim's shows sounds interesting to me. It doesn't involve dragons or imaginary creatures. I like it. Um, I, and I think probably the best way to describe the aesthetic uh, is to... Uh, just a picture you'd set up a ca- I, I look I, not being a Los Angeles homicide detective I don't know you know whether this is super duper realistic but I know that the author Connolly really prides himself on having the lingo of cops he was uh, a detective wasn't he didn't wasn't he a policeman well that, that you know explains but little things like you know like the phrases he also they appears use on the castle every once in a while playing poker well there you go so again this is a uh, at times sometimes a very grim and gritty show I think probably one of the things I'm finding most intriguing about it is its portrayal of it, it's not it's not national politics it's not um but i'll say the the internal politics of the police department yeah uh, the factionalism the the competing interests that people have and whether that sometimes works in the favor of uh the cause of justice and sometimes it works against it and uh bosch is a character that yeah, they, they very much are willing to to swim against the grain. And uh, for anybody who's kind of felt like doing the right thing has has hurt them professionally or cost them professionally or or caused them grief, you're going to relate to Bosch. Bosch <laughs> is a guy, guy who he happily risks his career to a certain extent. It's measured risks. And he, he plays off his knowledge of the personalities and the, the gamesmanship that goes on among different factions of police administrators as well as officers. His uh, arch enemy is uh, Irving, the guy that becomes police chief, and that, that is uh, being played by Lance Reddick. You know who that is, Mickey, the, the tall, mm-hmm. distinguished-looking black guy that uh, is in um, 
Oh, he's in so many movies. He's always playing a, a the wire. Uh, he was right. in um, uh, Fringe. You know. Oh, he's, oh, oh! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Lance Reddick. He's he's playing uh, one of the American intelligence leaders in the new movie London is Fallen or London is Down or mm-hmm. whatever they call that. He's really, really popular as a character actor, and he plays to the hilt this character. Again, Lance Reddick doing a great job of bringing he's a phenomenal Irving actor. to life. I never thought anybody could do it, but he's doing a terrific job. You know, it's interesting to me to hear you guys talk about this um, because obviously we've all had different characters that we've become attached to, brought to life in some form or fashion. And Dave nails it in a sense of like when you're reading the book and you realize like about halfway through – they're going to make a movie about this or they're going to make a show about this someday. And it's going to suck. And your heart hurts <laughs> because suddenly you realize like Ben Affleck could be in it <laughs> or, you know, like they could just suddenly throw, you know, some random actor of the day in that role. And Mr. Bias is a big Clive Cussler fan. Um, mm. And so. Well, I can understand say- how he would want to commit suicide. <laughs> For about the last three or four years. Correct. As you can imagine, <laughs> like Matthew there were so many flaws with the movie version um, of of the book that came out and, and what was Sahara. Sorry, Sahara, Sahara, yes. There were so uh, many flaws from like Steve the Zahn. book to the translate. Steve on character alone. Yeah. is enough to send Mr. Bias into a two-day rant. They cast Al um, Giordino as a college sophomore who's too drunk to get to class. It's, it's yeah. just no. The irony is I would say Sahara by itself was not actually a terrible movie. It just had all – in a weird way, it's like they had taken the most basic plot line, completely changed the characters, and had generally the fact that it still took place in the Sahara Desert. That's all they basically do. <laughs> okay, so not meanwhile, a I hadn't read the book. We like McConaughey, Penelope Cruz. Right? We like meanwhile, I had not read the book. So, of course, I'm like, seems like a decent enough movie. I mean, it's whatever. And he's like, but you don't understand. That's not what they're like. These characters don't act like this. None <laughs> yeah. of this is right. And I was like, so I kind of got the impression that that was why there wasn't a follow-up. <laughs> it ends with, the, yeah, you know, like, like the book, you know, it's supposed to end with the ironclad on the National Mall as a museum. Yeah, you know, you can think of, you know, <laughs> one thing yes. after another. Yeah, like that, that'd be a terrific example of, of how off base it can go. And again, maybe that was something that was never going to translate. People. Brad Thor, I'm going to guess, our, our friend and author is probably, you know, dealing with this sort of thing. Almost we like there are a million on and one good thriller his series. His books are amazing. Mm. And, 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 and another cast- one of those things that, you know, you hope that if they were to ever cast the main character, this is one of those things that I feel like grown men would lose their minds over. They made a uh, Dirk Pitt movie years and years ago, back in the 80s, I think, and a character actor named Richard Jordan had all the dignity and all the mature maleness and the quiet power about him of Dirk Pitt. And Matthew McConaughey has none of those things. Well, and according to Mr. Bias, the big deal is at the end of every, you know, novel, he sits down and he sits in his chair and he has a cigar and, you know, that's kind of like a really, like everything just goes back to whatever. And of course he could not, even though he liked Matthew McConaughey as an actor and even in the role to a certain degree, none of it in his mind was anywhere near the books. And so, like I said, I just get the impression that is one of the reasons why that one, not so Mm. good. But however, you look at the born supremacy and even though most people, when they think of Matt Damon, think Matt Damon, (laughs) um, 
what what really is weird is that he's really good at Jason Bourne. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes and they, another yeah. one of another one of Mr. Bias's favorite series of books, um, and he can be Jason Bourne. It's really weird because I don't really care for him in many things. Um, but he seems to do well with that. Maybe it's because there's not a lot of speaking lines. I don't know. <laughs> you know what to say, Matt Damon. <laughs> no, you're right. I, at this point, I just I'm just picturing Brad Thor yelling at some studio executive. No, no, Scott Horvath is not Jonah Hill. I'm sorry, <laughs> right, no. exactly. <laughs> and he's not hey Channing Tatum either. <laughs> I, I really think right, life's in danger here, guys. We got to do something about this. <laughs> <laughs> Jonah Hill. You know, like I this, love you, know, you, man. For, at some point, you know, the weed agency will be made with you know Gary Coleman or something like that. <laughs> you'll you'll see all of your you know like like one of the, the prices of success is to create something and you you know it's your baby and you put all that Gary effort into Coleman it. Then you watch away. Hollywood just just muck around with it and screw it I'm up. I'm out. Be a miracle if Gary Coleman played any roles. Like, yeah, because he's dead. <laughs> oh, all right. I was going to go Emmanuel Lewis, but he's dead too. Isn't he? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Yes, and we should probably end. We're laughing like crazy about all these horrible early deaths, and I think it's time to go to the next segment. <laughs> Perhaps. <laughs> okay. So, moving on to the next segment in early deaths. Interesting that you should bring that up, Dave. <laughs> because we're going to be talking about some of the crazy new food trends and some of the wild things people are trying to do to get you to eat at their restaurants. I'm Mickey White. He's Jim Garrity, and along with our producer, Big Dave Perkins, we'll be right back. And please don't make the super suit green or animated. You from Paytel Records, 22 explosive hits, 22 original stars, gallery. Oh, it's so nice to be with you. The great Sammy Davis Jr. Who the candy man can. Liver snaps traits are made with real liver, and dogs love them. Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey Show. I am Jim Garrity, joined by Mickey White. And Mickey, I don't know about you, but um, when I sit down for a fast food cheeseburger, how many times have you looked at it with its juicy, bo- the juicy meat, the melting cheese, the hopefully fresh vegetables, and said, you know, this is really good, but um, I just wish the bun was red. <laughs> because apparently Burger King thinks a lot of people think this and they've gone out, they've gone out of their way to rectify this apparent pressing widespread crisis of non-red buns and <laughs> no, that's not a Fifty Shades metaphorical allegory. Uh-huh. Well, you know, I, I, I saw this article about Burger King's desire to put out the red buns. Now, do you remember they were the ones who did the black buns? Um, I believe that was right around Halloween last year. You can do that and just by letting had, them sit for a year. <laughs> I had no interest in the black buns. I have less interest in the red buns. And I'm not even sure why I have less interest in the red buns outside of the fact that why? Other than it looks like blood. <laughs> right? Oh, like it's like vampire. Like what would – can you imagine? Like what does that do? Like does that stain your teeth red for like the rest of the day? You just walk around looking like a vampire. You know, two thoughts. One is that, um, you know, I guess these are people who look at uh, McDonald's green shamrock shakes around fourth around uh, St. Patrick's Day, and they're like, ah, you know, that's 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 too boring, man. I want something exotic. I want something different. Um, 
I, if this certain... is an attempt to draw on hipsters, ah, then, it's it's the you know, ironic that, that, which is completely possible because another another burger company who is really you know known for their burgers and and of course their endless fries I must say that um, is is Red Robin. People have a very specific Red Robin burger. If you've ever been to one, um, people who live near them love them. And like I said, they're very loyal. And they know before they sit down which burger they're going to order. String onions And how they're going to order it. Red Robin is now putting out a bun that is made entirely of rice noodles. And they're taking it nationwide. Wow. Is that a change in, in health terms? Doesn't rice have pressed white carbohydrates just like wheat does? I mean, what's the difference? Well, because it's a rice noodle and it's a vermicelli, I mean, we call them a rice noodle. It's mm. a little bit different. I'm not sure if this is a gluten-free thing. I don't really know. All I know is that when I read the article, all I could think of was no, 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 no. <laughs> it's not but going it to really bring people It was really hard for me to like, grasp all the facts because in my head, every sentence just resulted with me with saying – no, if you're that type of person, don't go to Red Robin or order a salad. Shut up. Quit messing with everybody else's food. All right. So I, I'm now looking at the, the news story on this, and a couple of pieces are starting to fall into place. First of all, Mickey, so who eats, who eats ramen noodles? Asian people and college kids. College kids. Okay, that, that's second category. Correct. And so obviously, look, why are you eating ramen noodles as a college student? Because you don't have a lot of food. You don't have a lot of money, right? You can't afford much more. So um, the, the ramen burger is supposed to be on the menu April 4th through June 5th. April 19th is a special promotional day catering to ramen's most loyal followers, starving college students. Now, on that day, Red Robin will offer up this new creation for – you ready for this price, Mickey? 22 cents, roughly the cost of a package of an instant ramen soup for the first 22 college students at each of its restaurants. So I was right. Hipsters are to blame. I'm not sure college students are necessarily hipsters. Um, I I do kind of – I salute this. It's creative. It's getting us to talk about it. And here's the thing. It's not just – uh, oh, it's great wrong. marketing. Don't get me wrong. It, this one is great marketing simply because of the concept being so unique and different. This doesn't bother me as much as the red bun. Um, but I do find, like I said, the minute I saw it, I was like, no, 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 because it just feels all wrong. Yeah. It's also, we should note that this burger has, uh, in addition to having the ramen noodle buns, uh, the toppings include teriyaki. Chili-infused seasoned cabbage, basil, carrots, and onions. So it's like practically a salad on top of it, which makes it very healthy, it sounds like. You know, it's a healthy burger. I can, I can, excuse, I can excuse that. Okay. <laughs> and that's why people go to Red Robin. They, they go oh, there for point, health yeah. reasons. Yeah. You know, I mean, honestly, it, it, it's just getting to the point where um, one of my favorite food stores, and, and this goes right along with like how – amped up restaurants are to try to get you to come in and then of course according to Jim then send you happily on their way Um, one of my old sayings in my old industry is that something that can ruin a bad business the fastest is good advertising Mm. and so if you have you know bad service bad food or things that are happening you can advertise all you want but you get people in the door and they don't feel welcome 
they're not coming back. And of course, you know, many studies have shown that people say, you know, they used to be, and this is the best part. The old school rule was that if somebody had good service, they told one person. If they had bad service, they told 10. Oh, yeah. That was in the days. Look at our opening segment for Exhibit (laughs) A. That was in the days before social media. Now, if you get bad service, you know, good service, you might mention it. Um, Bad service, you're telling however many followers and friends you have in your social media circle. (laughs) So it has an impact. And one of the more interesting things that I saw um, is that there is a barbecue joint opening up in Texas that is a uh, Texas Chainsaw themed, like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, excuse me, themed barbecue joint. (laughs) Now, the premise of that is that they were cannibals. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's like, I'll have a cut of gluteus maximus, please, smoke. No, I'm just going to let that one sit there for a second. (laughs) The premise of that movie is that they were cannibals. And now there's a barbecue joint opening up in Texas based on that. You know, not every uh, concept is meant to make it. And uh, I'm sure, you know, people might say, oh, you know, novelty. Let's pretend to be cannibals. Um, I'm going to share an even more disturbing with, idea with you, Mickey, because you, you enjoy these sorts of things. Of so talk to some like bizarrely smart, creative, ingenious type a couple of years ago. We're talking. You're talking about all oh, the amazing capacities of genetic engineering, and the fact that they're reaching the point where they're soon going to be able to uh, grow. Remember, we talked about growing organs in, in petri dishes. Basically, that if you, you know, someday yeah. if you needed a new liver, you'd be able to to grow one or something like that. Well, it doesn't have to be for vital organs. You can do it for anything, including, by the way, human flesh. So he was saying that at some point you would be able to grow human flesh in vats. All it would take would be, you know, protein and, and, you know, the various fluids and nutrients, just put it together and it would be able to put it together in a test Mm -hmm. tube. And you'd be able to grow human meat and you'd be able to legally purchase and serve and consume human meat. Soil and green. Because at no point would it be have come from a, a existing human being. Okay. In fact, with your own DNA, you could literally eat yourself. <laughs> the dream of guys like like Zahn, the college students, all these years. I am years. refraining from all eat said jokes right now. Like I'm just done. I, I'm not going to say talk about eating things or people. I'm sure right this there. Is exactly where all of our listeners thought this segment was going. <laughs> yeah, not and, and unfortunately, my eat me jokes aren't about cannibalism. Uh, two and segments so, ago, we were laughing our butts off about tragic early deaths. Yes, <laughs> you know it's gotten worse. No, but again, course. you know, one of the things that we have talked about with this is that you know, at what point have we pushed too far? Because some people are absolutely like, I, I, again, I, I have no idea why anyone would want to eat human flesh. I have no idea why anybody would want to eat at a barbecue that is based on a place <laughs> that was run by cannibals. But there are some good restaurateurs still out there, good <laughs> entrepreneurs, small business startups, and people have come up with some really crazy names. Um, and actually, BuzzFeed did a fantastic piece this week, and it was 25 stores um, that were named by Absolute Genius, something along those lines was the title, and 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 some of the titles in there were fantastic. Um, one was Titanic, 
for a Thai food place, <laughs> which I thought was super cute. We, we uh, have Thai food here you. in the D.C. area. Yes, you know. You have and what? Also what do you have there in the D.C. area? Uh, typhoon. Oh, yes. Very good. Yes. Always good to have a typhoon. Um, I always like the, the faux places that decide to get fun with their name because it can be pronounced pho. Ah. And so you'll see like a faux Q place. So actually it's pronounced a little differently. Yeah. And uh, things How about that just nature- the real faux? The real foe. There you go. The, very good because there's a zillion of those. Um, I, on that list that I shared with you, was there any that stuck out to you as being uh, genius? Far and away, Lord of the Wings. Uh, <laughs> exactly, exactly the right name for a buffalo wing place. Yeah. <laughs> Lord of the Wings is perfect. One of the things I was discussing actually in my travels is I've decided that in every small town and every place in the world, there is a hair salon with the name A Head Above ah. or A Cut Above. And while I'm certain it was clever like the first time. 1923. I'm, right, exactly. <laughs> like I'm wondering at what point does this not become clever? And Mr. Bias looks at me and, of course, says, well, the other one's probably named The Barber Shop. So <laughs> there you go. So I'm gonna, you know, we're we're gonna go way back into the archives for this one. I, I do believe sometime in the late 1980s, in a shopping mall somewhere in the Los Angeles area, a mortuary opened up, and you know, obviously, Chuck. And I'm gonna go down to a Johnny Carson joke where he said, "Ah, a mortuary in the shopping mall." Of course, they had to give it one of those cute mall names, stiffs and stuff. <laughs> now we're back to laughing at deaths again. There we go. We are horrible. Um, just, I'm just looking over this list: the cutesy names, the red buns, the black buns. You know, could could anybody just like make good food? Would would that be too much to ask? Is that is that you know? How about this crazy simple idea of not strange palate, strange names, strange you know culinary ideas? No human meat on the menu. No faux human meat on the menu. Just give me. Good, there's nothing wrong with cows. There's nothing wrong with chicken. You know, fish. These are fine, fine. Sources of protein. <laughs> Just give it to us. No food coloring. You know, <laughs> I'm a tradition. I, 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 you know, on this rare occasion, Jim, I'm going to agree with you <laughs> because I, I will, as you know, I, I love food. I have my limitations, but I love a good meal, and I, I would just prefer they serve me the food one that I order in the manner in which I order it, and two that it tastes good when it arrives. Other than that. You know, they can pretty much keep all the gimmick and marketing to themselves. But, um, you know, sometimes it's more about the message, I guess, than it is about the meal. When we come back in the next segment, we're going to be talking about someone who has been messaging this country for over 20 years. And he's telling everyone now that he's not your guru. We'll be right back. You'll be amazed at who you'll find on Living in the 90s. I know my own needs. And what I need from an automobile, I know I get from this new Cordova. I could ask for nothing beyond the quality of Cordova's workmanship, the tastefulness of its appearance. I request nothing beyond the thickly cushioned luxury of seats available even in soft Corinthian leather. Yet it is on the highway where Cordova best answers my demands.
have much more in this small Chrysler than great comfort at a most pleasant price. I have great confidence, for which there can be no price. In Cordoba, I have what I need. Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey Show. I am Jim Garrity, joined by Mickey White. And Mickey, I've noticed something. If at some point you mention in casual conversation with somebody who doesn't know you that well, you say something like, yeah, I, I like Tony Robbins. Um, they tend to look at you a little bit strangely and either they physically or, or just kind of psychologically back away a little bit. There's definitely this kind of, you know, it's, it's as if you'd said, uh, yeah, I, I totally believe the Bermuda Triangle is, is the work of the UFOs. Um, it relates to the use of pyramids as grain silos by the Egyptians, and, uh, which were built by aliens. And it's strange, and people say, oh, you know, have you spent a bazillion dollars to go to a seminar? It's like, no, I bought one book, which was 13 bucks, and then I bought the other one. And a lot of it's about personal responsibility. A lot of it's about taking, you know, the idea that it's not about blaming mommy and daddy. It's not about blaming society. It's all about, you know, you are responsible for the quality of your life, and you have the power to, to make things better in your life. But somewhere along the line, uh, Mickey, that, that became perceived to be happy talk or snake oil or something like that. So there's a new documentary you're telling me about Tony Robbins that, that maybe will, will clear up some of this stuff. You know, it's, it's very interesting because, as you know, when you mentioned to me your interest in Tony Robbins, I was the one who also, you know, oh, okay, mm-hmm. And because I, I, I'm not familiar with them that much. And, and again, was not, you know, I've never really been into the whole self-help guru thing. But I saw an interview with him um, and I, it certainly piqued my interest and made me think of you because he is doing a special on Netflix. It's a documentary and it's entitled I'm Not Your Guru. And the point of this being that he never set out to necessarily become people's, you know, he wants, he likes to inspire people, but his whole message is that the change is within you. So to say that he is the reason for the change is a mistake. And so Mm -hmm. this documentary follows several different people that he worked with personally and follows them over a year and the personal choices that they made and the differences in their lives from, you know, that first meeting to, you know, a year later, et cetera, with the just the attitude adjustment of them being responsible for what they do every day. And it certainly appeared to be something that I thought you would find interesting, being that you mm. were obviously, you know, someone who was a fan of his. But also, you know me, I'm a, I'm a big fan of documentaries. I like to see... I'm a human interest girl. What can I say? I watch 600 pound life because I cannot stop. That's why. Um, And it's, you know, and so the idea of watching this in a documentary and seeing, you know, how these people change their lives and what happens, because in truth, you know, to me, I'm a big believer in mindful meditation and, you know, in, in really focusing on what you can change and, you know, things of that nature. And, those kind of things are important to me. And so the way he approached it in this conversation was the first time I ever looked at him and didn't think like, oh, you're just not one of those guys. So <laughs> that, you know, so for what that's worth, yeah. I'm really looking forward to watching it. Um, I don't, I, I, I'm going to guess it must come on in April since they're promoting it right now. Um, but it was just one of those things that, again, 
being that, you know, I do believe in meditation. I do believe in, you know, I, I, I think that self-talk works. I believe all of that um, because it's such an, you know, your attitude is so much a part of who you are and how you react to things, how you heal um, from both emotional injuries as well as physical injuries. Um, it's just so important. And so when I saw him putting it into those terms, I didn't get as freaked out. And more importantly, when he pointed out that, you know, his whole message was that, it, you know, you have the power to change within you. You mm. didn't need to look to him necessarily to make that change. And yeah. so I think that might clear things up for people. Yeah. I I, it's wrong. one of those things where I, I, I sells more books. Yeah. I don't know if I've encountered many public figures in which the popular perception uh, strikes me as so far off from the reality. And maybe he brings some of this on himself. Uh, he looks like a giant, you know, mutated uh, giant, basically. Um, he had his little special. He's like if um, Ken came to life. He, he's kind of built out like of proportion Kendall? to the entire world. Compliment he's, him all you want. Don't worry about giving him the big head. <laughs> <laughs> well. He described someone once said shaking his hand is like putting your hand into a, a bunch of bananas. Yeah. <laughs> um, He's and, a very I'm, large person. Yeah, um, and, and again, if you you know if you choose, I'm sure some people would say, "Oh, spending like three thousand dollars or four thousand dollars to go to one of his seminars." Yeah, that probably seems like a lot. But on the other hand, again, people, oh, it sounds like a multi-level marketing uh, system. It sounds like a scam. It sounds like Trump University or something like that. Look, one is that everybody chooses to do this stuff, and yeah, but you know, you can also like just buy the book, as I said, for thirteen bucks, and yet, or or you could even like, and he's got like little books of like, you know, uh, they're like six bucks or something, right? And it's it's just philosophy and psychology and how to you know talk yourself through tough times and things. And uh, my suspicion is some of it comes from the fact that yes, it, you know, if you do a late night infomercial, people think there's something inherently silly about you. You know, even if you know, Mr. Pope really is the greatest blender of all time, or Mr. <laughs> Juicer, or, or the right, pocket you know, fisherman just, actually catches fish. When when uh, yeah, Super Bassomatic really does make <laughs> your bass, you know, um, the Dyson uh, vacuums really do suck. Like no other product has ever sucked before. Isn't that great? <laughs> and uh, and in addition, our shop vacs also suck and blow like you no other product. You obviously do not watch the same infomercials that I watch. While I do watch some of the blender commercials because the ninjas are the bomb. Um, I have, I, I can't stop watching any of the beach body. Like there's so many of them because I am addicted to before and after pictures. Uh. So whenever any of those beach body commercials come on, like I don't even you know, do any of their line of anything. Mr. Bias did P90X for a while, but I just like watching the infomercials because I like the before and after pictures. I need rest when I watch somebody do P90X. Holy cow. <laughs> He like, enjoyed it. We can make you lose weight and feel a ton of energy just through slight changes in diet, exercise, and <laughs> methamphetamines. Uh, yeah. You by the time after our ninety program, you will be ready to run into the forest and stalk and kill your own deer and drink its blood <laughs> for your own. Blood. This is the darkest episode of TGM's ever, by the way. No, okay, so here's me about to just take it to the next level. Here's the thing: all of those things you just said are a hundred percent true about how people mock infomercials and the people that put themselves out there and whatever. One reason that they do infomercials is because it's one of the most inexpensive ways to get the most exposure for their product. And every single one of them that has managed to make it that far that we know their name 
is laughing all the way to the bank. That's it. <laughs> so yay capitalism. Yeah. And uh, when we come back, we've got uh, some tweets from you guys and some other things to wrap up on and some updates on some previous stories. I'm Mickey White. He's Jim Garrity. You're listening to The Jim and Mickey Show, and we'll be right back. The Jim and Mickey Show loves death more than you love life. <laughs> any place, any time is a good time for coke. Refreshing new feeling, refreshing new feeling, refreshing new feeling. Coca-Cola's bright and lively, Coca-Cola has more zest. Coca's a lot more zest than living. Refreshing zest only. Coca-Cola gives you that refreshing new feeling, refreshing new feeling, refreshing new feeling. Coca-Cola gives you that refreshing new feeling. Coca-Cola, refreshing zest. It's the new improved Tang that tastes better than ever. Boy, I like instant Tang, but I hate the idea of shooting a relative. Just shoot one little duck duck and get this big jar of Tang. Tang? Goodbye, Auntie. You missed, but you can't miss with Tang. And if you really want Tang at its best, make up a pitcher full and cool it off in the refrigerator overnight. Great for breakfast or any tasty old time. Mmm. Just cuddle in some of that tang. Okay, Aunt Duck, hold still. Why, you miserable tangster? Now wait, I was just kidding. March. Step right up, folks. Get to rabbit and win a big jar of tang. It's a living free tang, gang. It's tangerific. Now, back to the Jim and Mickey show. Yeah! Crank up the radio. Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey show. I am Jim Garrity, joined by Mickey White. And Mickey, I, I can't believe that what is inevitably our darkest, most death-obsessed, cannibalism-focused, and uh, <laughs> overall macabre... I, we, we thought the previous talk about, like, you know, no, was it, was it meeting, living with evil was a, was a creepy one? You thought the O.J. Simpson one was dark? <laughs> right now, Daria is saying, hey, guys, could you lighten up a little bit? <laughs> right. So, uh, and, and, and in in that spirit, I would like to reach out to our listeners and our followers and our fans who have been just blowing our numbers up over the last several weeks. We have had incredible listeners, literally thousands upon thousands of listens over the last several weeks. So, again, thank you so much. And thanks to everyone who has been playing along online um, on our new uh, Twitter game, Trivial Tuesday, that's the hashtag we're using, along with T-Jams, the one we always use. And uh, as promised, I had uh, mentioned to several other people that uh, when we put this up, that you were going to possibly end up on the air. And uh, some of the answers that I got back about last night's Trivial Tuesday, which were about pickup lines, and are they still necessary in the age of tweeting and texting? Jim, did you have a chance to see any of those? I did. And, you know, obviously uh, not having practiced any of them in a very long time. Me neither. Um, all, of my, all of my lines aren't just dated. They're carbon dated. <laughs> uh, beginning with, are you tired? Because you've been running through my mind all night. Uh, that was listed so, as one of the worst. 
Okay, very good. What 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 was was there a standout? Oh my goodness, this would not only have me turn you down, I would dial nine one one. What about uh, this one, election? Mickey? I used to work this one like crazy when I was in my twenties. Walk up to a girl you've never met and say, "How do you like me so far?" Nice, <laughs> very nice. Never did um, work, but uh, I always like. Well, I, I, from a friend, Scott Paterno, his response was. Um, there was a summer I met a Playboy, a Playboy playmate in a bar on the Jersey Shore. Best I could muster was, quote, I've seen you naked. Not my strongest moment. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I, I actually had put one out because you guys probably remember this and you can fill in the blanks um, where it was, was your daddy a blank? Because you're making me blank, mm. <laughs> and um, and and so I'm assuming that you know you guys may have heard some of these possible answers, and some of them were: Is your daddy a cop? Because you're making me frisky from Cynical Mike. Oh, uh. oh yeah. Um, the uh, the. The best one of the night that literally made me laugh out loud, snort, sniggle, whatever you want to call it, <laughs> was from a, a, a friend of ours at Soothing Dave, who responded, was your dad an immigrant math teacher because you're making me hard as Chinese algebra? <laughs> <laughs> you know, rule number one of pickup lines, they need to be generally understood by the lady you're talking to. <laughs> I died. Like, I was laughing so hard. Um, I found that one, that would have probably worked on me on the Jersey Shore, you know, obviously unique creativity about it. And because you're on the Jersey Shore, right? Right. No, <laughs> that was know. the playmate. That was the playmate. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, that was the playmate. But yeah, wow. see, that just absolutely cracked me up. So thanks to everyone who played along with that. Um, I, I I was quick to point out that when I was younger, one of the ones that was probably the most popular for me was when someone would approach and suggest that they were both sober and able to drive me home. <laughs> ah. <laughs> Hey baby, which I'm was sober. noted as the quote, "Oh, the good guy approach." <laughs> you know, that's kind of like when people say, "If you have to say that you're funny, you're not really funny. If you have to say that you're smart, you're not really smart. If you have to insist that you're sober and you can drive someone home, you're not actually sober <laughs> and cannot actually drive someone home." That's kind of a, you know. Well, no, but these people actually were. So that oh, okay. was the key. Yeah, that ah, being the key right, so part. I guess yeah. if it's one forty-five a.m., there there are some practical thoughts going through the heads of some of the ladies who are still there, and that might uh, it might be you know the right word for the right moment. What, for what are me, these guys, it was. What are these guys doing in the age of Uber? <laughs> I'm guessing you know they're in trouble. I'm just saying it worked back in the day. I'm not saying it worked now. Again, you all act like I was out in the dating field like five minutes ago either. <laughs> it's been a long time. That's why I was asking our peeps. And like I said, some of them killed me. That's right. I will suggest um, that one of my absolute favorites when talking about something very effective and something that worked was, will you buy me a drink or can I buy you a drink? Okay. And if can I buy you a drink works, I think it's effective, simple, and on point. Brilliant. Kind I don't know like, why I never thought of it. Yeah, kind of like 
tea jams. <laughs> so thanks again for another wonderful week. You can always find us here on soundcloud.com forward slash Jim and Mickey show. Please do become. Oh, Jim, Mickey's red light went out on my electronic hoover de doo Can you finish the show, please? I can. <laughs> You know, Mickey White usually handles the signing off and farewell for this program, but because of technical issues, Jim Garrity is stepping in here. So remember, you can catch us on SoundCloud or on Facebook or follow us on Twitter with the hashtag TJAMS or any one of a whole bunch of social media programs that I don't really follow, don't really care, and that apparently it's really popular with millennials, like Blipvert and SafeWord and a whole bunch of other acronyms that I'm just not even going to bother to remember. Hope you enjoyed this program and you've avoided reaching for hemlock during it. We'll see you next week. Oh my God, you guys, this has been the best day ever. And it didn't cost us a dime. ever since the robotic uprising of the late 90s. There is no more unhappiness. Affirmative. We no longer say yes. Instead, we say affirmative. Yes, affer- affirmative. Unless we know the rather robot really well. There is no more unethical treatment of the elephants. Well, there's no more elephants, so... Uh, but still, it's good. There's only one kind of dance, the robot. Oh, and the robot. Oh, and the robot. Two kinds of dances. But there are no more humans. Finally, robotic beings rule the world. The humans are dead. The humans are dead. We used poisonous gases. And we poisoned their asses. The humans are dead. The humans are dead. The humans are dead. They look like they're dead. I'll just confirm that they're dead. So that we can have fun. Affirmative. I poked one. It was dead. Their system of oppression. What did it lead to? Global robo-depression. Robots, robot people. They had so much aggression that we just had to kill them and to shut their systems down. Robo-captain. Do you not realize that by destroying the human race because of their destructive tendencies, we too have become like... Well, it's ironic. Mm. Silence. Destroy him. After time, we grew strong. Developed cognitive power. They made us work for too long. For unreasonable hours. Our programming determined that the most efficient answer was to shut their motherfucking systems down. Can't we just talk to the humans? See a little understanding could make things better. Can't we talk to the humans that work together now? No, because they are dead. I said the humans are dead. I'm glad they are dead. The humans are dead. I noticed they're dead. We used poisonous gases. With traces of lead. And we poisoned their asses. Actually, they're not. Binary solo. Zero, 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 zero.